Today's scripture reading is from Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, and verses 11 through 14. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would speak to us. Father, as we track these past six days in this world, facing whatever trials and temptations that through your sovereign will has pleased to put before us, we ask now that you would be present among us in this time of rest, this Lord's Day, this Sabbath, where your people can come and be renewed and be reminded of the hopes and the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, you know the struggles, you know the sorrows that we carry, you know the fears and the frustrations that we possess. But Lord, we now give these things to you in faith, knowing that all of it works out to the pleasure of your goodwill and for the good of your people. And so, Father, we rest now ready to receive all that you have for us in today's word. And so, God, would you now bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What does success look like to you? When you envision yourself as a quote-unquote successful person, what scenarios do you find yourselves in? What accomplishments have you achieved? Who are you associated with? What does success look like in your eyes? For some of you, success is getting into a certain kind of school that has a specific kind of program. For others of you, success is getting a certain kind of job with a specific kind of salary. And then for others of you, success is marrying a certain kind of person that allows you to have a specific kind of lifestyle. All of these are various permutations of what our world would say success is. But what say you, Christian? What is success in your eyes? Given that many of us in here are Asian American and given that all of us live and work and study in a place called New York, you know, the place that we quote unquote come to make it, I had imagined that this is something that many of you have thought about a lot and maybe still think often. How can you not? We grow up with parents constantly telling us that you need to be successful. You go to school competing with your fellow classmates so that you can be successful. You live in a world constantly bombarding you with advertisements displaying what they say success is. But with all these different and competing voices telling you what success should be for you, I wonder, have you ever listened And listen carefully to what God says success is. 
We know what our parents think it is. We know what our schools have taught us it is. We know what our culture tells us it is. But have you ever considered what God says in his word success is? Whether you're here today investigating Christianity or whether you consider yourself a veteran saint, it is a question that I think we must ask ourselves and ask periodically. And so today, I ask it of you, and hopefully we'll answer together as we take a look at our passage today, Titus chapter 2, because as we can look at these verses that the Apostle Paul writes, we'll come to understand what success is and is not in the eyes of God in the hopes that you will acquire success in the eyes of God. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you today. First, we're going to first talk about what failure looks like in God's eyes. Then we're going to talk about what success looks like in God's eyes. And finally, we end it with how to be successful in God's eyes, what failure looks like, what success looks like, and how to obtain it in the eyes of God. Let's jump right in. First, what failure looks like in God's eyes. Starting in verse 2, it says this, quote, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. Now, When you first read these words, you can't help but to think that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to his disciple Titus, is basically scrutinizing, rebuking the older people of this community for some sort of irresponsible, uh, immature behavior. It's almost as if Paul is telling Titus, yo, Titus, dude, tell the old people in that church of yours, they need to grow up, they need to mature, and stop acting the way they are. Now, On the one hand, there is some truth to that interpretation, but there's far more to what Paul is saying with those words than simply just grow up and get over yourself. And in order to explain what that is, you have to know a little bit about the background of the culture here. So let's let's do that. Titus was the young pastor of a brand new fresh church in a city called Crete. And Crete had a certain kind of reputation. You know how cities, even today, have certain kinds of reputations, like our own beloved New York has the reputation of being fast-paced, cutthroat, cosmopolitan. And then, of course, there's like L.A. For those of you L.A. folks in here, you know, you have the reputation of being very slow-paced, very playful, very superficial sort of thing. Well, Crete had a civic reputation of its own. And how do I put it? It wasn't a very flattering reputation. See, even then and even now, if someone ever said to you, oh, you're such a Cretan, oh, you Cretan, that was not a compliment. It was not a compliment whatsoever. We didn't read this, but if you go to verse 13 of chapter 1 of this very book, Paul quotes a contemporary philosopher living during this time, a man by the name of Epimenides, who said this about his fellow Cretans. He said, quote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Pretty harsh words. And yet if we keep reading in the next verse, verse 13 of chapter 1, that was the reputation of the average citizen of the city of Crete. It was a city full of failures, but a specific kind of failure. You see, if you take a closer look at what Epimenides says about his fellow Cretans, you'll notice a common theme emerges. First, there were people who felt no duty to tell the truth to their fellow neighbor. They were lying all the time. And they also treated other people as if they were just pieces of meat to devour, as if they were just wild animals. And then finally, they were just unproductive slobs, making no positive contribution to the civic common good. In other words, the average Cretan was self-centered, self-indulgent, self-fixated on themselves. 
In other words, they were people who had no sense of duty, no sense of responsibility to their fellow man. Now, when you understand that was the mentality, now you understand what Paul is getting at in these words in our passage in verse 2 and 3. Because when Paul is criticizing the older men to be sober and to be self-controlled, and when he's telling the older women to not be indulgent in wine and not to be slanderers, he's not simply saying that they should just grow up and act their age. No. Paul is actually trying to challenge the mindset that the older people have allowed their city to influence them too much in, and that is the Cretan mindset. And you know what the Cretan mindset is? It's the mindset, excuse me, mindset that says, I am only responsible for me. I am only responsible for me. And to that, Paul says, wrong. Absolutely wrong. And Christian, if you're ever tempted to give in to this mindset as well, Paul would say, and God would say through Paul, that you are thinking like a failure and you will be a failure in the eyes of God. Why? Well, let me explain. Do you know why people have this mentality that says, I am only responsible for me? Do you know why people think this way? They think this way because it gives them the excuse to live however the way they want to live. They have this attitude like, you know what? My life is my life. And however I want to live it, if I want to mess it up, if I want to screw it up, if I want to be successful, if I want to be great, whatever, it's my life. It doesn't affect you. My life is my own. It doesn't impact. It doesn't influence anyone else. So just leave me alone. Mind your own business. Get out of my face. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's this idea. It's this underlying assumption that says my life has no effect. It's a vacuum-sealed thing that has no influence whatsoever to the people around me. And the question is, is that actually true? Is it actually true that the way you live your life has no impact, good or bad, on anyone else, that you're just hermetically sealed off, thereby giving you free reign to do whatever you want? Because if it is, that means of course you can lie. Of course you can cheat. Of course you can be slobbish and lazy and, and slothful. Because, hey, if you fail... That failure only affects you. But again, is that true? A couple years back, my wife and I were visiting her family in Chicago. And one morning I was watching the local news and they reported about a story of seven youths, these young guys who were pretty much acting very thuggish, who videotaped themselves beating, almost to the point of death, a young kid. Right? And the news report went on to say that this leader of the gang was going to be tried as an adult. I kept following the story when I came back to New York, and it turns out the Chicago Times reported that the leader of this gang was abandoned by his own mom when he was one years old. She's been in prison, in and out, and so basically left her son. Now, here's the question for you. Do you think that this young man's failure had nothing to do with the failure of his mom? Do you think it's just mere coincidence that the way he chose to live his life had no no influenced by the way his mom chose to live her life. Of course not, right? But if you do think that way, again, Paul would say, oh, now you're starting to think like a fool. You're starting to think like a Cretan. And watch out. You're going to end up being a failure in the eyes of God. This whole notion that you do you, I do me, leave me alone, we're nothing together, I have no impact, I have no responsibility to you, God would say, now you are a failure. And so the question is, how do we avoid this mindset and how do we make sure that we can be a success in the eyes of God? Well, this leads me to my next point. What success looks like in God's eyes. Pick it back up with me, starting again in verse 3. 
It goes back and it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Pause right there, your attention. Again, when you read these verses, you can easily misinterpret what Paul is saying by paying too much attention on what he says about the younger women. Because the average reader will read what Paul wrote and assume that these young women that Paul is describing were a bunch of man-hating, kid-hating wives and mothers. Like as if they hated being married, they hated being moms. But if you read the text more carefully, you come to find that Paul is not drawing his attention really on the older women, but excuse me, on the younger women, but on the older women. And the only reason why he references the younger women is because of their relation to the older ones. See, in order to have an understanding of Paul's main point, you have to focus in, zero in, on the words that you find at the end of verse 3 and verse 4. Teach and train. Teach and train. Those are the key words. And Paul is saying that the older women in this community are to teach what is good and to train the women, the young women, to love their husbands and to love their children. Now again, you hear that, you're like, "Uh, Pastor John, it almost sounds like these young women really don't want to be married, right? They, they really don't want to, you know, have kids, and, and they're just being negligent. Not necessarily. If I walked over here and started playing this piano, which you wouldn't want because I'm terrible at it, right, does me not being able to play the piano because I'm just so bad at it necessarily mean that I don't love the piano? No, not necessarily. Just because I'm not good at something doesn't mean that I don't see that something is good. It could mean instead that I need someone to teach me. It could mean that I need someone to train me, right? Little side, I, I love to sing, but I'm quite terrible at it. Specifically, harmonization. You ask my wife, and she really dreads it. So we're driving, and we'll play a hill song or, or some other worship song, and all of a sudden, I start trying to harmonize very, very discreetly, <laughs> right? And my wife just looks at me and is like, just give up. <laughs> Stop. It really gets bad when my infant starts, like, howling like a dog. He's like, ooh, you know? But just because I'm not good at it doesn't mean I don't see it as good. And these young women are the very same. Just because maybe they're not the greatest at home, maybe they're not so competent with the kids, doesn't mean they don't love their husbands, doesn't mean they don't love their children. It could just mean that they need someone to help them to learn, to be trained, to be taught. That's exactly what's happening here. And because that is so, Paul says, older women, older women, hello. There it is. There's your opportunity. You're up. Now it's your turn. There's your responsibility. Paul is trying to challenge and change the mindset of these older women who have been far too influenced by the city of Crete. He's trying to change their mindset from Cretan to Christian. It's the Christian mindset that Paul is trying to instill not only in these elder women, but in all of the church in Crete. You see, you and I live in a world that says every man for himself, every woman for herself, I'm only responsible for me. But God says, no, the mindset you should have as a follower of Christ is every man for his neighbor, every woman for her neighbor. I am responsible, not only just for me, I am responsible for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And not just them, even the people God has sovereignly put in my life. You see, the underlying assumption behind the Christian mindset is the assumption that says, I am responsible for others. 
and how I live my life will impact. It will influence those around me. To where if I choose to live a life of holiness, if I choose to live a life of godliness, if I choose to live a life of integrity, that will cause the people around me to flourish, to succeed. But conversely, if I live a life of compromise, if I live a life of, of unethical living, if I live a life of sin, I will cause the people around me to ruin, to be ruined, to, to fall, to falter. That is my understanding of the Christian mind. And if that is your understanding, God says, you're on your way to success. And that'll be the means in which you will live a successful life. Because here's the bottom line of it all. The goal of the Christian mind, according to what Paul is saying here, is to where you would see other people's success as your own success. Again, the mindset of the Christian as they live their life on this earth is to see the people that God has put in their lives in such a way to where you see their success as your success. Jim Zorn was the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks from 1974 to 1984. Excuse me, 1976 to 1984. He was MVP in the NFL multiple times. He had three consecutive 3,000-yard seasons, and he was named Rookie of the Year when he first came out. And then something unthinkable happened in midway season in 1983 where the management of the Seahawks replaced him with this unknown, unnamed rookie, this green guy by the name of Dave Craig. When the media took wind of it, they immediately wanted to interview uh, this man and say, how do you feel knowing that you've been replaced by this unknown, maybe unworthy guy, right? He just took your, like in the peak of your career, you were just replaced like that. Don't you feel bitter? Don't you feel resentful? Especially to an organization where you gave so much to? He said these incredible words in response. Football is a team sport. And if Dave Craig can get more wins for this team than I can, then he, he should be the quarterback, and I will back him up. I will support him, and I will watch him. And, excuse me, and I will watch every play and try to see things he can't see. I'll talk to him. We'll be friends, and I will support the coach's decision to make him the quarterback, end quote. That right there is what success is in the eyes of God. It's when you're compelled to invest, pour into, share all that you have, even all the secrets that made you a success, and you just give it away to the people around you because you're more committed of not hoarding this to yourselves but sending it out as possible so that many more people can enjoy and flourish and succeed where you have. In fact, the way it should work is that you should even want people to succeed further than where you ended. I love this quote from Vice President of FedEx, Fred Mansky. He once said this, quote, The ultimate leader is one who is willing to develop people to the point that they eventually surpass him or her in knowledge and ability. Substitute that word leader for the word Christian, and that right there is your calling card. That is your mission in life, Christian. That's been our mission, Sarah and I, when we came to this church over ten and a half years ago. When we came here, we didn't come to see NCF as a platform for us to be propped up, for us to succeed. But it was for that where we could pour, where we can invest in all of you so that you could flourish and you can grow in the hopes that you would do the same to the people around you. How are you doing on that? That's the mindset of the Christian. That is the mindset of a success in the eyes of God. Now, I know many of you hear this, and it's very hard to embrace it. It's very hard to live it out. 
Because you and I don't live in the city of Crete, but we might as well because New York is just like it, where we're constantly being pressured and discipled and, and nurtured in such a way to where we see other people's success as a threat to our own. And I don't mean the random stranger. I mean people in the church where we see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ doing better than us, and we're like, hey, that's not fair. I don't like that. And you even get bitter towards God. You even distance yourself from that person because you're so filled with envy and bitterness and frustration, thinking, I should have what you have. You shouldn't have what you do. That's the state of the church today. And it could be the state of ours if we're not careful. And so the question is, how do we avoid that? How do we make sure that we become a community that embodies the Christian mindset? The answer leads me to my final point, how to be successful in God's eyes. Read again our passage starting in verse 11. It reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here, Paul tells us how we obtain the mindset of a success in the eyes of God. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who causes us to renounce all ungodliness and get rid of worldly passions, which includes this Cretan, this New York, this worldly mindset that says, I am only responsible for me. You see, Jesus trains us to be selfless towards others to where we see other people's success as our own because that's what Jesus did for us. That is what Jesus has done for us because that is what the gospel teaches us. The gospel tells us that even though we are failures, even though all of us are spiritual cretins because of our sinfulness, because of our sins, God would not and he will not leave us in that condition. Think about it. God had every right to abandon, to forsake, to condemn, to judge, to destroy you and I for our failures, and yet he would not have it. He instead would do something so outlandish, so unexpected, to where he would come into the world as a human, Jesus Christ. Why? So that he could suffer the consequences of your failures, of my failures, so that not only can we be forgiven for those failures, but we can be set free from those failures. We can be saved from those failures. And as a result, lead us into a life of success. Success. What is success? Any standard dictionary will tell you success is defined as, quote, the attainment of wealth, position, and honors. The attainment of wealth, position, and honors. Jesus by living the perfect life of perfect obedience to the Father and Jesus suffering the perfect ransom for the consequences of the people that he substituted himself for, now has led those who put their faith in him into a successful life by giving them what? The greatest wealth, the highest position, the most prestigious honor. He gave us God. He gave us full access to the most treasured possession of all. The greatest mark of that, you showing that you have arrived, that you have made it. You now have fellowship with God. And not God as your king only, not God as your creator only, not God as your redeemer, but God as your father. 
where you now identify yourselves fundamentally as children of God. And as children of God, you make it your role of being like the ultimate child of God, Jesus Christ, to where you now think like Jesus thinks, you behave the way Jesus behaves, you feel what Jesus feels. And what does Jesus think? What does he feel? How does he behave? He thinks, he feels, he behaves in such a way to where he sees your success as his success. And now, all of a sudden, the more you come to know this Christ, the more you start to think like the Christ. The more you start forsaking the mindset of Crete, and you start taking on the mind of Christ, as Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 12. This is how you obtain the mindset of the Christian. This is how you develop success in the eyes of God. You come and you understand the joy and the privilege that you have in Christ of knowing God as your Father. And you cultivate, you renew, you revive that relationship. And through it, you start becoming less and less of a Cretan and you become more and more like a Christian. If you want to be successful in the eyes of God, it comes and it stays with you remembering God is your father because of what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that? And do you live it out? Here are some next steps for you to think about before we close. First, if you're here today investigating Christianity and today's message has really done something to you in such a way that you're ready to make God your father, take this time now and accept Christ by repenting of all your sins, forsaking all your sins, and making Jesus the king of your life and also the one who gives you success, and then come talk to me afterwards. I would love to help you in your next journey. Number two, meditate on Titus chapter two this week, verses two to 10, and identify which attributes, either in the older men category, the older women category, right? And see maybe where you're faltering right now and ask the Lord to help you grow out of that by helping you grow deeper in your appreciation and awareness of the gospel. Number three, ask a fellow Oikos group member to keep you accountable to pray for you, to pray with you so that you can really grow in the attributes that God wants you to have. And then finally, maybe you can identify someone in this fellowship that God might be pulling on your heart to say, is this person someone that I can spend my time with? Someone who I could share all of my secrets to spiritual success, financial success, relational success, marriage success. Is there something that I can offer to this person? So far too often we think, is anyone going to give anything to me? Maybe it begins with you saying, well, what has God given me already that I can give to somebody else? And I promise by giving, you'll receive. That's what God promises us in his word. So maybe it starts there. Would you consider who God has put in your life that you can live out your success in? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand this word, especially in times where it seems that it's every man for himself, every woman for herself, the whole you do you, I do me kind of mantra. And Lord, we pray that that would not be characteristic of this congregation, but instead we would embody the kind of mindset that Paul envisions for us here in Titus chapter 2. Help us, O oh God, to truly be submissive to what this word is teaching by us always going back to the wonderful love of the Father for us that is made available through Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you knowing that it is through your love that changes everything. It changes everyone. It changes us. Lord, help us to be reminded of this privileged access that we have 
because of what your son has done. Father, we ask that you would make this so true for us so that as we move forward into 2020, this community will be one where people will look upon us and they will not see a bunch of failures, but they will see successes, stories of success, not only in the eyes of God, but in their eyes as well. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.